Today we, uh, we're in week two of our Lenten series, working our way through the book of Job. And one of the things that makes Job so relatable is that we can relate to his story in one way or another. If you've traveled around the sun a few times, you have come to learn that life is hard. It's very, very difficult. And if you've been a follower of Christ long enough, I hope you have also come to know in that God is faithful. And we won't understand every problem that we face. And Job didn't understand either. And we can find ourselves in his story. During the series, we're going to show a three-part video of Martha Dornett, who is a longtime member here at Anderson Hills, along with her husband, Stuart. And she's one of our prayer partners. She teaches the Bible. She serves in countless ways. And many years ago, uh, Martha's family experienced a painful loss. And she's been gracious enough to share her story with us and those who are watching online. This week, she shares about her loss, and we pray that God will give you comfort through Martha's story. Let's take a look at this video together. Many years ago, our families were getting together in Colorado for our first ski vacation. My one brother and his family, Stuart and I, and our two girls arrived on a beautiful blue sky day in Colorado. My older brother and his family couldn't get there that day. He was a pilot and shared his plane and couldn't get it until the next day, which was Good Friday. And the day that they flew up, a horrible snowstorm came unexpectedly into the Rocky Mountains, as it does. And this was in the days before GPS and good radar and some of these tiny little airports. And all five of my family, my brother, my sister-in-law, my three precious nieces were killed instantly in a plane crash. Um, it was a lot to deal with, as you can imagine. No one knew what it was like to lose a whole family. And um, no one really knew how to deal with us and how to share our grief or how to come alongside us. We didn't know how to deal with our grief. But we did know, remarkably, our faith was strong enough, my mother and Stuart and I, we knew where our family was. And we never doubted that they were in the presence of the Lord from the moment that that plane crash happened. Their faith was bold and um, I think accelerated because their life was short. My sister-in-law, Debbie, had put a bumper sticker on her car the day before the accidents. It said, Jesus, don't leave earth without him. My little niece had left her baby doll on the steps um, with a little button that said, have a nice forever. My brother had left his plaque in his office that said, God works all things together for good to those who love the Lord. And you can imagine I wanted to take that plaque and throw it out the window. I had such anger and misunderstanding of that verse. But I do still have that plaque on my dresser and look at it every day. When you go through this kind of tragedy and you have a faith, you do find when you look back on that faith journey that God has taken you on that you have no idea where you're gonna go after something like this, but God takes you to incredible places and he gives you a firm foundation that I have seen grow and grow and grow because I've had many other challenges in life and yet I think because of that huge challenge, I have been able to plant my feet more firmly um, in God's word and I have to do it over and over because we're all weak. You know, Martha talks about uh, not knowing how to deal with the 
tremendous grief at first. Um, and their friends, uh, family, did not know how to deal with it either. And sometimes there just aren't words, right? You never know what the future holds. And how do you respond to tragedies in this journey called life? What is God's will for us amid tragedy? Last week, Pastor John preached a powerful message about suffering and also surrendering to the will of God. He reminded that God came to experience that suffering in the person of Jesus Christ. And God is faithful in us, with us, in our suffering. The first two chapters of Job, we saw Job, a billionaire by today's standards, lost almost everything. His 10 children were killed in a windstorm. His sheep were burned up. His livestock stolen. Servants murdered. And then lastly, his body was covered with boils. And in his grief, Job tore his robe. He shaved his head and he fell to the ground, but it says he still worshiped. Job's wife had a different response. Listen to what she said. His wife said to him, are you still maintaining your integrity? Curse God and die. He replied, what are you talking about, foolish woman? Shall we accept good from God and not trouble? In all this, Job did not sin in what he said. Job does not forsake God. He keeps his integrity, but he does lament. And when his three friends heard all that happened to Job, they came to sympathize with them. They sat on the ground with Job for seven days and seven nights, and no one said a word. But eventually, words did come from Job. So today, we're going to hear those words. We're going to study Job's lament. Job's words uh, reach into the depths of the anguish of our soul as well, and they teach us the art of lamentation. In the United States, we excel at so many things, innovation and progress and resilience, but grieving, lamenting, those things are often avoided. They're neglected. Our fast-paced life, our obsession with productivity, our fear of vulnerability conspire against expressing grief and lament. We deaden our pain with distractions. We bury it beneath the noise of busyness. We crawl into things to numb our pain, like abuse of alcohol, food, drugs, shopping, overworking and overplaying to dull our negative feelings. And the influence of our family, of our culture, and in our background will shape the way you grieve. Some of us were taught to uh, suck it up or stuff it down. But we weren't made to do that at all, my friends. Our feelings have to be expressed, and that's what lamenting is. Our feelings and our rush into grief, we can find solace in Job's raw honesty as he wrestles with his pain, loss, and the very purpose of his existence. So Job chapter 3, verses 1 through 10, it sets a stage for our reflection. Let's look at this together. After this, Job opened his mouth and cursed the day of his birth. He said, may the day of my birth perish and the night that said a boy is conceived. That day may it turn to darkness. May God above not care about it. May no light shine on it. May gloom and utter darkness claim it once more. May a cloud settle over it. May blackness overwhelm it. 
That night, may thick darkness seize it. May it not be included among the days of the year, nor entered into any of the months. May that night be barren. May no shout of joy be heard in it. And may those who curse, uh, curse days curse that day. Those who are ready to rouse the Leviathan. And may its morning stars become dark. May it wait for daylight in vain and not see the first rays of dawn. For it did not shut the doors of the womb on me to hide trouble from my eyes. After experiencing this such loss, extreme pain, there's nothing left for Job to do than lament, mourn, grief, weep, and wail and express sorrow. He refuses to incriminate himself, though. He refuses to blame or abandon God. And Job is not some lifeless stone, my friends. He's not some brute, uh, stiff-necked brute. He had a mind. He had a heart. And these events had shredded him within. And he doesn't keep it in. He lets it all pour out. Jesus said in Luke 6, 45, out of the fullness of the heart, the mouth speaks. And it's time for Job to speak what's in his heart. And Job's, Job's lament is not some pl- polite whisper. It's a guttural cry, a primal scream from the depths of his being. And he finally finds the words. His words echo across time. Invite us to embrace our own grief and tear open and rend our hearts and pour out our pain to God. And that's what we have to do. We have to name that darkness. And Job doesn't hold back naming that darkness. He curses the day he was born. He longs for non-existence. His lament, it's unfiltered, it's unapologetic. And it's here, here lies the first lesson. We have to name that. We learn that from him. We cannot heal what we refuse to acknowledge. Grief and sorrow, they demand expressions, my friends, and they provide, lament provides a canvas for our tears. Think about it. We're born into the world with a cry. Although none of us remember that time, our first moment, it was the first sound that we made after leaving that warm, protected confines of mama's womb. And there was a loud protest when we came into this world. We were born into a complex and difficult world, and we enter wailing. To cry is is human. It's the first thing that we have done when we enter. However, we aren't the only one of the created order expressing sorrow. The Apostle Paul says that entire creation groans. Look at Romans 8.22. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Along with the fall of Adam, the created world was infected with the broken effects of sin. And death is the ultimate reminder that something is not right in the world. And there are other examples too. Lament of cancer diagnosis, the lament of frailty, addictions, failed marriage, depression, fear, anxiety, relational conflicts, loneliness, and abuse. These things make us groan. And we don't stop crying after we were born. We continue throughout our lives because this world is broken. While tears and sorrow are a part of our humanity, there's this often neglected prayer language in the Bible for our travels through this broken world, and it is lament. What is lament? 
Lament is not the same as crying. It's different. In our Judeo-Christian tradition, it's naming our pain before God. And the Bible is filled with songs of sorrow. Over one-third of the psalms are laments. And the book of Lamentation, it weeps over uh, the destruction of Jerusalem. And Jesus lamented in the final hours of his life. He knew what was before him. And he knew that he would be beaten and crucified. And he struggled to face it, but he did. Like I said, lament is different than crime because lament, and, lament is a form of prayer. It's more than just an expression of sorrow or the vent of emotion. Lament talks to God about pain, talks to others about pain. And to God, it has a unique purpose. One word, trust. It's a divine given invitation to pour out our fears, our frustrations, and our sorrows for the purpose of helping us renew our confidence in God. The practice of lament is one of the most theologically informed actions a person can take. While crying is fundamental to humanity, Christians lament because they know that God is sovereign and God is good. Christians know his promises in the scriptures, and we believe in God's power to deliver us. And we know that during Lent, we are marching toward the cross, and we know from the cross, we march to the tomb, and we know that the tomb is empty, that Jesus Christ is alive, and yet we experience pain and sorrow. Lament is a language for living between poles of a hard life on one hand and still trusting in God's sovereignty on the other. It's a prayer form for people who are waiting for the day that Jesus will return and make everything right. Christians just don't mourn. We long to God for the pain to end. Prayer of lament also takes faith. We have to talk to God instead of getting sinfully angry or bitter. We have to lay out the messy struggles of our, our souls and ask, then ask again and again and again for God to help. It keeps us close to God. It tethers us to him. And lament it turns toward God when sorrow tempts you to run from God. The ancient wisdom of Job beckons us. We must learn to grieve, to sit with our sorrow, to honor loss sometimes, and to weep without shame. Lament is not weakness, my friends. Lament is courage. It's the audacity to say, here's the truth. I'm not going to pretend that it doesn't hurt. Prayers of lament interpret the world through a biblical lens, and Christians lament because we know the long arc of God's plan, creation, fall, redemption, and restoration. We know the cause of all lament is really sin at its core. But we, re we read in Revelation about the ending of all laments. Look at Revelation 21.4. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death shall be no more, neither shall there be mourning or crying nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. Therefore, Christians, not only mourning the brokenness of the world, we also long for the day 
when all weeping will cease. And God promises that it will. But as we journey, we will cry in these times, how long? How long? King David asked that very question. There's a psalm of lament, Psalm 13. It's David's heart-wrenching pain disclosed straight to God. Look at Psalm 13, 1 through 4. How long, Lord? Will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts? And the day after, and day after day have sorrow in my heart. How long will my enemy triumph over me? Look on me and answer. Lord my God, give light to my eyes or I will sleep in death. And my enemy will say I have overcome him. And my foes will rejoice when I fall. Do you hear the groaning? How long? Give me an answer, God. These are dark nights of my soul, O oh Lord. But we have to pray these sometimes. There's something powerful about naming sadness when we feel it. Grief expert David Kessler says, emotions need motion. When you name it, you feel it. It moves through you. He says, fighting our feelings doesn't help as our body is producing those feelings. If we allow those feelings to happen, then they'll happen in an orderly way and empower us. And then we are not victims. King David put it all to pen. His words can become our words. Praying the Psalms. Have you ever prayed the Psalms? Praying the Psalms gives our words flight. Have you ever prayed the Psalms like this? Job and David teach us to do that. Since life is full of sorrows, since the Bible is clear about the plan of God, Christians should be competent lamenters. We should regularly talk, about, talk to God about our sorrows, our struggles. Christians should learn to lament. And one way to start uh, doing that is to read through the Psalms of lament. Start with Psalms 10, 13, 22, 77. It's like a combination to unlock something that is locked up inside of us. And then move to the other 40 plus laments in the book of Psalms. You'll find lament Psalms for personal grief, for corporate suffering. There are uh, laments of moments of, of repentance when you long for things to be made right in your life, in your friend's life, and in the world. And as you read these Psalms, certain phrases will become a part of your phrases for your life. And you'll probably be surprised at how connected you are to the words you read. And laments tend to become uh, personal very, very quickly. Job also teaches us something of great importance. He teaches us to wrestle with the questions of life. Job's questions, they pierce the heavens. Let's look at 11 through 13. Why did I not perish at birth and die as I came from the womb? Why were there knees to receive me and breasts that I, shy, that I might be nursed? For now I would be lying down in peace. I would be asleep at rest. In our grief, we too ask questions. Why? How? When? And these queries, they're not a sign of weak faith. They're the language of a wounded soul. David and Job teach us that God can handle our questions. God can handle your questions. He can take it. 
And maybe we won't understand the whys, the whens, and the hows on this side of heaven, but God always invites us to wrestle with the divine mystery even when answers elude us. In short, an honest question is not wrong, my friends, and it is not sinful. But a cross-examination from a bitter, untrusting, or rebellious heart is the fruit of unbelief. God is not intimidated, shocked, or displeased by our heartfelt questions. He understands our weaknesses and our fears and invites us to seek a transparent fellowship with him. And when we question God, our attitude should be that of a humble spirit, of a trusting heart, and an open mind. We can question the Lord, but we, uh, we should not expect to receive an answer unless we truly trust and accept his sovereign perspective. God knows our hearts, whether we genuinely, des genuinely desire to give, him, give us guidance through our struggle. Our inner intentions determine whether it is right or wrong to question God. So Job's lament continues. 20 through 22. Why is light given to those in misery and life to the bitter of the soul, to those who long for death that does not come, who search for it more than for hidden treasure, who are filled with gladness and rejoice when they reach the grave? Here we encounter a paradox. Light is there in the midst of suffering. Job grapples with the unfairness of existence, yet even in his darkest hour, he acknowledges that life is a gift, and lament holds both sorrow and gratitude. It allows us to weep while we're clinging to hope, and it's similar to David. Remember those questions he had in Psalm 13? Listen how he closes his lament. Two verses, Psalm 13, 5 through 6, but... I will trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing the Lord's praise, for he has been good to me. Did you see the shift in his countenance? The word but has spoken, and David knows God's love is there in the midst of his pain and sorrow. Like Job, David worships. I know God is good. God is always good. He is always good. He declares his salvation despite his grief. His heart, David's heart still rejoices because God's love is never failing, my friends. God's love is always there. I want to give you some practical steps to help you lament. First, you have to create space. Set aside some time to lament. Light a candle, play some soft music, allow your heart to speak. Job didn't rush through his grief. Seven days, seven nights, he sat there in silence. We should too. Not seven days, seven nights. <laughs> Take some time. Number two, write your lament. Put pen to paper like David. Pour out your feelings. Be honest. God can handle your rawest emotions. Journal. And then in that journal, read back a couple weeks in your journal. And then compare it to today. And see what God has done. Also remember, community matters. Lament with your community. Share your lament with a trusted friend. Job does that. He pours out his pain to his friends who are sitting with him. Let 
Let them help carry you in your pain. We're never meant to grieve alone. At Anderson Hills, we have a, a, a group called Grief Share. It's, it meets on Wednesday nights at 6.30 p.m. We've got Bob Gerding and I lead it. Grief is to be shared. As Christians, when we see a brother and sister in Christ lament, let them. If tears come, hold them. Don't say, oh, don't cry, don't cry. Let it out. And when we ask, how are you doing? Don't let it be a flyby. How are you doing? When you ask it, be ready. Be prepared to hear their grief. Sit and listen. Really listen to how they're doing. Next is lament and worship. Bring your lament to God in communal worship. Let those tears come during your worship. Tears are a gift from God. We worship for a reason. We cleanse our soul and we come and worship together. We pour out all of who we are before a God who sits on the throne. Come into worship and let that, that sound of praise wash over you. And after singing along for a while, you'll feel the presence of the Lord wash away that icky feeling. Ask God to specifically during worship what you need. Come forward to prayer. Come to this prayer pad up here. Worship will cleanse your soul. We have to come into God's presence to be refreshed and filled with his goodness. God is like oxygen. You can't see him, but you can't live without him. The Lord has given us worship, not only as a comfort, but also worship as a weapon. We can worship while getting ready in the morning on our way to work in our car. We can sit quietly with music playing softly in the background. Spend some time this week worshiping the Lord each day and allow him to refresh you, to cleanse you in the lament that you might be feeling. And lastly, remember that the Holy Spirit helps. We have to remember God's promises in Scripture. And one of those promises says that God has given us a helper Look at Romans 8.26. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. What a comfort and promise this is. As we cope through a wide range of emotions, extreme exhaustion, and major transitions, when we groan, the Holy Spirit intercedes between our disenhearted groans and the loving Father who has listening ears. And as the Spirit passes on our cares to God, He also reminds us of God's promises. The Holy Spirit also points us back to the words of Jesus Christ. I love the message translation of Jesus' word in Matthew eleven twenty eight. 28. Check this out. Are you tired, worn out, burned out on religion? Come to me. Get away with me, and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me, work with me, watch how I do it. Let the unforced rhythms of grace, learn from the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't let anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. Come to Jesus, your Savior, my friends. Beloved, he knows 
God's here to help you. We want to have a time if you want to come forward at the altar. If you want to come to our, our prayer partners, so if our prayer partners would please, please come forward. I'll be down here if you need a hug, if you need a prayer. We will minister unto you, but most importantly, the Holy Spirit will minister unto you. Take that time to lament. Let's pray. God, we pray for you to come beside us in our lives right now. As we lament, we know that you are there and that you are helping us. You are helping us in a powerful, profound way, working in the background in ways we can't even fathom or possibly imagine. And God, we thank you that in our grief and in our sorrow, God, that your help is there and your love is there. We thank you for Job's honesty, for David's honesty, and help us be honest before you with our questions, with our expressions, with our fears. And God, we know that you're going to minister unto us because you are faithful. You love each person here. May we come unto you this morning bearing our hearts and our lives before you in your throne. We love you. And we pray this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.